For those of you who are new, that's uh, been about two years in the running, so uh, we're all super pumped. Well, those who yelled were super pumped about this. Uh, so that's an exciting day for us. I think a great milestone of God's grace to us, really. Um, really hard to believe that uh, about, I guess it was about, oh, it was over two years ago, uh, we were in my father-in-law's uh, basement. Uh, there were six of us. And uh, we were going to start a church. And look at, look at, we have Urban Grace Church here. And uh, thanks, Jesus. That's really cool. Uh, he has been good to us and gracious to us. And even, even today as we're setting up, we're, we're short a few people today setting up. And it just made me again realize how important everyone's service is. And uh, hey, if you don't have a place to serve besides your city group yet, and you feel like you'd like to offer that to the church, um, I'd, I recommend you fill out one of these connect cards. We, we actually have a spot there for you in terms of if you think you could do something like set up or take down that sort of stuff and help decoration and, and those kinds of things, please let us know. There's always a need for that kind of stuff um, because there are always people that are away for the weekend and, and we need lots of crews for that. So please, please fill that out if you can. Um, as well, if you're new and would like literally to become a Christian, you uh, hear the gospel and you believe it and you want to know more about what it means to become a Christian, you can also fill out that card, drop it in the plate as well. Uh, as we sing the last couple of songs in our service, we pass around plates for those of you who choose to worship through their money. Uh, Jesus cares about our money, so we do that as an act of worship, just like singing is an act of worship, so is is giving and serving, and so that's all kind of in our response time. And as well, if you want to get connected to a city group, just let me say this. I plug this a lot. You'll, you'll know this. We have hardly any programs here. We do have something that the guys do. We do have something that the girls do, but we kind of... Uh, we, we kind of don't talk about it a lot because we don't want it to become the emphasis of Urban Grace. But what we do want to emphasize is our city groups. If you're new to Urban Grace um, and this is your first time or even your first couple of times and, and you appreciate even what's going on here, you're, if this is the only place that you're experiencing Urban Grace, the Sunday morning thing, you're missing, oh, I'm just going to say over half. Uh, I've gotten cornered about percentages and I'm... Uh, I'm not going to get into percentages. I'm just going to say over half from now on. Uh, but you're easily missing over half of what Urban Grace is all about. And those of you who are in city groups know this. You notice, you know that the real glue to our church is not what happens here on Sunday morning, even though I think uh, that the people are doing a great job with what's happening Sunday morning, that the real glue to our church, it comes in our city groups where we get to know the gospel. We get to know each other. We learn how the gospel applies to each other. We get help from each other. We serve the city together. And uh, we help battle our sin together uh, in, their, in our city groups. And again, if you're not connected to one of those, fill out a Connect card and say, I would like to get connected to a city group. Uh, we're just on the verge of going into our fourth uh, city group. These are really the only emphasis we have here at Urban Grace. We've got the big, which is... It's getting bigger, praise the Lord. Um, but we also got the small, which is our city group thing. So uh, pay attention to that. As well, bef- uh, while, I'm, while I'm doing announcements, um, I don't know if you noticed the uh, very handy, handy uh, information card for you designed by our very own Natasha. She is, does most of our artwork, and she's done a fantastic job uh, just giving us a little card that is a good reminder for us and a way for you to invite friends. It's... Nothing on the back, so you can write like notes there, directions, that kind of stuff, phone numbers, email addresses. You could, even if you wanted to, put a postage stamp in the corner and send that to your friends. Hey, you're welcome. Um, Free postcards. So use those. Those are for your use and for your reminder. They also make great bookmarks. And if you like to underline with a straight edge, they also work that way. So um, take one of those. Use one of those. We're hyping this up a lot because this is a service we don't want to just be for you. We want it to be for our community. We want to serve the area of Kensington. And I, it's going to break me up to say it, but I'm tired of Christmas services that don't preach the gospel. Does anyone have that experience? I am just tired of it. 
I'm tired of going to a Christmas service where and nothing against drama, but it's like drama about how we should be better givers. And, you know, Jesus is the real kind of present, but there's, there's no gospel. It's, it's just really touchy feely. And although it will be simple, you will hear the gospel. I can guarantee you if this is the one time you bring your friends who do not know Jesus to this church, they will hear about Jesus on Christmas Eve. We've placed it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon so you can go home and get your consumerism on and, and open all your presents and that stuff. I'm not mocking you. We do it too. Um, uh, it's, the music's going to be great. Uh, we're going to decorate it as well as we can. It's going to be all Christmassy. Hopefully there will be some snow and some slush on the ground. Uh, we might even have some hot chocolate. And uh, again, just really consider... If you have not brought friends who, who are far from God, use this service as one of those places where you know your friends can hear about Jesus. Uh, that's all the announcements I have for today. Okay, but we are here to hear from God's Word, I think, primarily. And so I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you do not have a Bible here this morning, and again, you're new to Urban Grace, I want you to just... Uh, if you want a Bible, slip up your hand and our ushers there will help you out with a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at all, like literally you don't have one to take home, take it home with you. Uh, it's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible. Uh, it's on page 834 of that Bible. And it's Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 to 15. And I'll read it and then I'll pray and then we'll, we'll get caught up as to where we are. I'm going to start reading in 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, excuse me, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But I, brothers, still, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, again, thank you for the opportunity and the graces it is amazing to me, Jesus, that you don't just choose to give us our salvation, but you actually choose to give us many more gifts, like the gift of being able to preach the gospel here in this theater, like the gift of seeing people come to know you, Jesus, through our church, like the gift and the opportunity we will have to preach the gospel on Christmas Eve, like the gift of just even being able to gather in freedom to hear your gospel and not have the opposition that some have in our world. Jesus, thank you for, first of all, saving us from ourselves and our sin. Thank you for giving to us your word that we can hear from. And Jesus, we ask now through your Holy Spirit that he would come upon us and that we would not just read these words on a page and get knowledge, but that something would happen in our hearts and our hearts would literally be changed as a result, Jesus. This, I can't convict people with my words. I can't persuade people just to be saved through my words or my preaching. But you can. 
And Holy Spirit, I ask that you do that today. And you change us and you convict us and you help us and you encourage us and you show us truth through your word, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get at it. Uh, You'll see the fancy sign here that's hidden a little ever so slightly by our fancy poinsettias. And this is the name of our series, Gospel. This is a word that the Bible has used quite often. It's really the Bible's shorthand way of saying good news. You see, that's the story of Jesus, is it's good news. At Christmas time, we actually sing songs about this, that, uh, that the angels sing about, you know, great, good news of great joy. That's, that, that word good news is actually the word gospel. And you have to know that really to understand the rest of what's going on in our whole series. We are preaching uh, systematically uh, through uh, the book of Galatians, but really that's, that's the heart of this whole book, is that it's all about the gospel. It's all about this good news. And what you have to know, first of all, is what the gospel is and then how you can respond to it. This is the gospel in shorthand form. Jesus Christ was God, came to this earth through a virgin, lived a perfect holy life, the kind of life that he laid out for everyone to live in Scripture. He fulfilled it perfectly. But then instead of lording it over people, he chose instead to give his life in exchange for our life, knowing full well that we could not fulfill the law perfectly. That no matter how hard we try, there is something wrong in our DNA, in our spiritual DNA that does not allow us to fully obey like sometimes even we want to. And Jesus, in His goodness and His grace and His love, took His perfect example and paid for our sin because God hates sin. Just like righteous judges hate when people get killed for no reason. Right? A righteous judge, if we walked into a, a courtroom right now today, if, if on Sundays they did court, I don't think they do court on Sundays, but you would find a judge who is trying to do the right thing and make sure that all things that are wrong get punished properly. Nobody likes an unrighteous judge. And so God being the righteous judge who hated sin, who can't stand sin, needed a way to reach down to us without eliminating his his holiness and his ability to perfectly punish sin. Well, how could he do that? Through Jesus Christ. And so the cross, which is where Jesus Christ paid for our sin, shows us, first of all, how much God really hates sin. You know you hate sin when you send your own kid to die for it. You know that, hey? Does that make sense to you? That tells us how important and how much God hates sin. But the cross also shows us how much God loves us, because you would only do this if you really love someone. Have any of you ever died for someone? Right, wrong answer. Put all, all you put your hands up. None of you have died for someone yet. Very few people will die for somebody. Especially sinners. Would any of you walk into prison and go, where's the worst person you can find? I'll take their sentence. None of you would do that. We don't do that as humans. That doesn't make any sense. But actually, that's exactly what Jesus did for you and I. Because no matter which way you look at it, you and I have a big sin problem. We have disobeyed God. We have disregarded God. We have neglected God. We have abused God. We have, uh, we have said, every, we, we have turned our entire lives against God. And He in His loving mercy has said, yeah, but I want you in my family anyways. And if you believe in my son, and if you believe in everything that my son does, if you believe that I am in my son, then you can have everything that my son offers. Now, this is almost too good to be true. In fact, it's so good to be true that it has to be called something other than cool. It's called good news. It's called gospel. That's The thing about news is, you, you, you don't apply news. You just believe it or you don't believe it. And so I think I've said this like eight times in a row. So again, for those of you who have been here for the last eight weeks, this is, this is like over and over again repetitive. 
But you need today, I am asking you, I'm calling you to make a decision about that news before you move on from hearing what I have to say. I do hope you enjoy the music. I hope you meet some new people. But primarily, my greatest concern for you this morning is not that you meet people, hear some great music, and occasionally get a blast of forced air through some of, our, uh, some of the vents. It's that you decide what you think about the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing to me. It's a huge value here at Urban Grace. We even named our church after it. That's how important it is to us. Now, now that I have spoken the gospel to you, now that I have told you what the gospel is, there are, there are lifetime of ramifications of this good news. Okay? There are things to do. There are things to know about. There are ways to act. And what we've been doing in the book of Galatians is, see, Paul preached that good news to a group of people in Galatia. And what happened was a number of churches were planted as a result of this. And so these churches who had first heard the gospel were really excited about this. You see, these people had grown up in a society that said, you earn your way to God by what you do. And the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel isn't about what you do. It's about what you believe God does for you. That's the big difference here. And there's these two things that are always going on in our lives. This is our default, is we think our way to God depends so much on what we do for Him. But it doesn't. It depends upon what God does for us. That's why it's called good news. You can't earn it. You can't strive hard for it. You simply believe it. And some of you are even resistant in your hearts now going, that can't possibly be true. I've got lots to bring to the table here. If God could just get to know me, He would realize I've got a lot of good things about me. No, that's not the gospel, friends. The gospel is about what God does for you. Now, that just doesn't eliminate what you do, and it doesn't make unimportant what you do. That's another big danger, and we're going to get into that. In fact, that's why this message is called More Freedom in the Gospel, because it really piggybacks off of last week's text. And as we've gone through Galatians, what we've seen is that Paul, who's preached the gospel to these, these Galatian people, and, and they initially believed it, what's, what's essentially happened is a number of false teachers have come in and said, oh, no, that sounds really, really good. But hold on, have you thought about this? And they've added another thing to the gospel. They've added some extra things to the gospel. This still happens today, by the way. And that's why when you go in some churches, people will say, yeah, it's about the gospel, plus you've got to do a bunch of these other things. If you don't get involved in our small groups, you're not really a Christian. Or if you stop smoking, you, you can't be a Christian and keep smoking or drinking or wearing ripped jeans or whatever it is, right? Well, that's something to You've got to read your Bible or you're not a Christian. Well, that's not the right way to go about it, first of all. And there is a danger, and that's why Paul helps us with that danger. There is a danger in taking that freedom and misunderstanding what that freedom is because, you see, every other way of earning your way to God is like being a slave. That's why I had to read uh, the, the verse 1 of chapter 5. Last week, we read it as the last verse. And the reason why we had to read it as the first verse is this is one of those verses that's like a hinge. You know what a hinge is, right? goes on a door. You ever seen, remember... Oh, now I'm dating myself. Uh, do you remember Muppets? Anyone remember Muppets? Right? And that chef used to go through that door and it swung both ways. You remember the orky borky bork chef? Anyone? Nice. Okay. So finally, an illustration that lands. Um, that's what this verse is. It's a hinge that kind of goes either way. So it helps us understand the previous text, but it also helps us understand the text going forward. And last week's text was all about the fact that, that Paul says, you know, if you buy into this whole way of living righteously and by your works, you will essentially become like a slave. He's like, don't put on that yoke of slavery. Again, uh, this is not my illustration. This is a Bible illustration. You know what a yoke is, right? You might see this at a nativity scene. You'll see a yoke on a pair of oxen. A yoke is not something that you give a calf to give them freedom, right? You don't give a cow a yoke so that they are free. You give a cow a yoke so they stay in line, right? 
Usually on a yoke, there's two. So you, you, don't even, you, don't even, you don't even get to choose like your own way. You've got to be with another cow and you both have to pull lots of heavy weight. And I feel sorry for cows now that I know about yokes. Right? We've moved on to tractors. I'm, I'm, that's cool for all the cows in the house. Right? You don't have yokes because a yoke is a thing of slavery. You put a yoke on an animal to make them do what you want, you, to make them pull heavy weight. And Paul says, do not submit to that yoke of slavery. Living as though you earned your way to God through what you do is like a yoke of slavery. Stand firm, therefore, and remember, Christ has set us free. I love that stand firm because it just implies this right off the bat. And let's just, um, let me hit pause here for a second. Just explain this text is literally like a bunch of bullet points. It's like before PowerPoint ever came out, there's this bullet point thing. Normally, Scripture is like, seems really organized. And I really struggle with how to order it. So if it feels like 11 points today, that's because I found 11 points in the first seven verses, okay? Or whatever it was. But let me just kind of go through them bullet point by bullet point. So Steve, hopefully you can hang with me here. This is all about what happened. And what I see is, is the one unifying thing is these are all things that get in the way in sometimes of, of the freedom of Christ. These are things that we struggle with, struggle through. So if a couple of them hit you, that's great. Hopefully one or two will hit you, but there's going to be lots and I'll try and fire them off fast here. First of all, the, the thing I notice even in five one is that freedom will be a fight. Does that sound normal to you? Freedom is a fight? It's interesting that on Remembrance Day, that's exactly how we talk in our wars, isn't it? Did you know that when, when I, I went to my daughter's uh, Remembrance Day ceremony, and the, uh, I think it was a World War II, was it a World War II veteran, I think, hon? Yeah, I can barely see a nod back there. So, um, He said that Canada's never started a war. I thought that was very interesting because of the amount of people that have died fighting for our freedom. Do you not find that amazing? For those of you who have a military background, it's amazing. Canada hasn't started any wars, but man, we have fought a lot of battles for our freedom. And that's what's always said, isn't it? We fight for freedom. You do have to sometimes stand in the trench and literally pick off the enemy because you know that if you don't, it will remove your freedom and you will become a slave to whatever country is trying to, to, to kill you. So literally, even though we haven't started any wars, we haven't, as a country, deliberately gone out and, and tried to conquer other lands, we've had to do a lot of fighting. And thousands of people, men and women, have given their lives to fighting for our freedom. And thousands of them have died fighting for freedom. And let me prepare you that as you pursue freedom in Christ, it is not going to be the default position for you. You will have to fight. You will have to stand firm and fight for your freedom because there will be all kinds of sermons that come at you. I think one of the great misnomers, people don't like, usually don't like preaching. You're an exception church. I love you. That's why you're my favorite church in the whole city, right? You guys seem to like preaching. I'm still amazed. I'm like, really 55 minutes in this place still has people in it? That's amazing to me. So, so I, like, I know that you're, you, you love that Hearing the Word of God. But it's, it's a fight. It's a fight to have to hear truth. It's a fight to have to defeat truth. It's a fight to get here in the morning and hear this. It's, these things are a fight. And it's not a fight negatively, but it's a fight for your freedom. Because your default position will be slavery. You will pursue things that you don't even realize enslave you. And some of them will actually preach. There, there are many sermons that will preach to you, this will free you up. Have you ever heard that? Literally, spiritually? It seems like it's from the enemy of God, Satan. And he whispers something into your, if you do this, it will provide you all kinds of freedom. 
Like if you have more money, imagine how free you'll be. Have you ever heard that sermon? Well, that's crap, isn't it? For those of you who earn more money, you're like, this doesn't free me at all. It ties me into more vehicle payments. Because I need another vehicle now. It ties me into a bigger house. Now I need to get a person to clean that house. (laughs) I'm speaking to college students, so you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, I know. But seriously, for those of you who have heard that whisper, like, more money will give you more freedom, isn't that crap? Truly? It ends up being more enslaving at times than others, isn't it? Some of you are like, yeah, I don't have a job, and I'm freer than I've ever felt in my life. Now I have way less responsibility. See, that's the lie that the serpent will preach to you. He'll preach that sermon all day. Or he'll preach, you, you need sexual freedom. You need to be able to sleep with whoever you want. Look at whoever you want. That'll bring you freedom. For those of you who are caught in that sin, how free does that feel? No, not free. That is not freedom, my friends. The people that I speak to about this issue, you know how they come to me? like slaves with a heavy yoke around their neck. There's no freedom in it. And see, that's what will happen is the, the, the world will preach to you, the serpent will preach to you, that, oh, this gives you freedom, this gives you freedom, this gives you freedom. And it's lies. It's lies. Freedom only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, you'll have to fight for it, but it will feel like freedom. When you have fought for it, it feels like freedom. The great news is, is God gives His Holy Spirit to to fight for you and promises you, hey, this battle's won. I accomplished everything at the cross. It's the first thing I see. Secondly, Paul says, look, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Again, don't don't get caught up on circumcision, okay? For most of you, like, circumcision is not something you've been thinking about and, and struggling through for the past couple of months. I kind of hope. Who cares? I'll just leave that. That's saying too much. Okay? Circumcision was the old way in which, in the Bible, you told God you were serious about obeying Him. You, you would have to kind of be serious to do that, would you not? I mean, it's literally a medical procedure where you cut skin off of a piece of genital. Right? I, yeah, you've got to be pretty serious if, if you're going to do that for God. Okay, but, but Paul says, it, it doesn't just stand for that cutting of flesh, by the way. It really is a metaphor for just living your life like doing the things that God wants you to do. In some ways, it's not much different than doing things like reading your Bible so that God loves you. Or going to church so that God loves you. Or serving in your church so that God loves you. Or sharing your faith so that God will get off your back. It's not a lot different than that, actually. Those are things that, although they are good things to do and they are actually helpful things to do, they don't earn your way. And sometimes we do these things with that motivation, don't we? And Paul says, if you accept circumcision, why in the world do you also want Jesus? These things are not compatible. So this is the problem with this. When Paul says, living this... this, this uh, living a life by having our salvation and our right standing before God being dependent upon our relationship with God, excuse me, and earning our relationship with God, if we do that, he said, don't bother with Jesus. Jesus really is of no value to you. And so that's, that's the kind of decision you have to make. If you're going to try that, and, and Paul, like, I mean, read Galatians. Paul says, go for it. Have fun with that. A, you'll never do it. B, Why? Why bother? There's no freedom there. So he doesn't even say, go ahead. He says, go ahead. And then he says, check that. Don't go ahead. Follow Jesus. Come on, guys. Seriously, take this real seriously. This is way better than the way that you're imagining. If you obey the law for salvation, you don't need Jesus. Again, this is not an old thought. This is real common. In in Galatians, this is the same thing over and over again. And he says, I testify again in verse 3 to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. So Paul actually takes it one step further. He says, okay, if you're going to live like this, you can't no longer pick and choose over what you obey and what you don't obey. You've got to take the whole law 
You can't just have circumcision. You've got all these other laws. Have you ever read through the Old Testament, especially the first five books, anyone? What do you find there? Primarily law. He's like, if you're going to live that way, why don't you go back and follow all this law? Here's the problem with this. It's not just your Old Testament. Now there's New Testament. We've, if we treat that like law, Paul says, you, you've got to follow everything. You've got to do everything to complete it all. This doesn't work. And it's impossible. And yet we still kind of function like this so often. Uh, it reminds me of the story of Thomas Jefferson. Anyone know who Thomas Jefferson is? I don't know all of his details. I know he's a really smart guy. He's an American. So, you know, cool. Thomas Jefferson is known for having a Bible where he took everything out that he didn't like in it. So he took his Bible and he cut all the pieces out of his Bible that talked about hell. He didn't like hell. Uh, God was not someone who would send people to hell. Couldn't possibly. So he started to cut that out. Cut out anything that was like negative. Oh boy, now you're really starting to cut out of your Bible. He cut out any, anything that talked about what you have to do or what you should do. And you, you can imagine what he ended up with. He ended up with a Bible that had about four or five full pages in it. That's about it. Now, that's a good living illustration of what sometimes you and I do and how we treat, first of all, the law of God, and second of all, just our obedience to God. That there are some places that we're like, no, God can't possibly be saying that. And so we reject them. We follow, you know, there's very few uh, people in the world, especially musicians, like professional musicians. Have you noticed this? They're always talking about, oh, we just need more love. We just need more love. They don't really look carefully. That's really a biblical thing. They don't look carefully at what, what, how God says you can't really love until you understand the love of God because you're always loving for selfish purposes then. So you can't even take that. And, and what happens is, as Christians, so often we just start taking pieces of Scripture out. We read the stuff that only we like to read. We, 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 we follow the stuff that we really like to follow. But when it comes to difficult things, like most of us, um, seriously, most of us pay pretty close attention to things like believe in God, um, trust in Jesus, stay away from sin. Um, you know, it, it seems very common right now to just the sexual sin because we have such a sexualized culture. Stay away from sexual sin. We forget things like Sabbath. I mean, this is, this is me, by the way. This is me talking me. It's like, well, I follow the Ten Commandments, except for number four. That seems a little tough because, honestly, it's my, it, it messes up my work schedule. I'm not really going to take that seriously. Setting aside one day a week to rest in God and to stop working. And I'm going to see that as law instead of a help. And see, what, what the problem with that is that, that these Ten Commandments that, by the way, are still every bit intact, not so that we can earn our way to God, but as a response to how we function in our relationship with God. We don't take things like murder as a suggestion. Have you noticed that in the Ten Commandments? No one is going like, oh, you know what? Murder, I'm going to cut down next year. New year, no murder. I promise. We're like, no, that's, that's a commandment. We've got to follow that one. But when it comes to things like Sabbath and honoring your parents, it's like, well, if I can and if they don't bug me. You know, I'll honor my parents if they don't bug me and give me good gifts for Christmas and I'll take time off if I get it. These are not suggestions. This is, this is from God. And then Paul says, like, if you start with the law, you've you got you to gotta go all the way. You can't just pick and choose. Fourthly, he says, if you obey the law, then you have missed grace. Grace, for some of us, is, is a paycheck for what we do for God. You ever, let's just say you work, okay? Most of you can track with me, right? Let's just say you work, you have a job. And you put in 40 hours, and then your boss gives you a paycheck. Would you call that paycheck grace? Would you be like, oh man, I do not deserve this. 
No, you'd say, no, I work 40 hours. I got paid four hours. That's a paycheck. Right? What Paul says is, grace isn't a paycheck. Grace is not received from what you do for God, even after you believe. Grace doesn't keep you in the fold. It doesn't keep you close to God. Or, or, uh, what you do for God doesn't keep you close to God. God keeps you close to God. What you do for God is a natural response of what God has done for you, but it does not keep your relationship intact with God. God keeps that. Now, again, I know I'm going to get some pushback from those who have heard too much grace. And you say, well, wait a second. I know people who are resting and trusting on this, and they're doing whatever they want. Well, Paul has some things to say about that person in the future, so hold on for a minute. But if you obey the law, then you've missed grace. If you treat Christianity like a paycheck that you deserve because you've done this. And I I actually met someone like this. I talked with someone like this who literally said to me, God has no choice. I believed in Him, so no matter what I do, He has to save me. I was like, wrong, dude. That is wrong. He didn't have to do anything. You get because of God. You receive because of God. But He is not obligated to do anything for you. If He's obligated, it's no longer grace. Does that make sense? Right? You, don't, you don't come after a, a, a boss for something that you don't deserve. You can't legally. It's like, well, I gave you an extra 50 bucks. You can't sue him for not giving you 50, 50 extra dollars. <laughs> you can sue him for not giving you the $50 that you earned, but you can't do it for the bonus. So that's not how it works. It's free, right? If you obey the law, then you've missed grace. Um, fourth, fifth. If we believe in Jesus for everything, uh, how did I put it here? God's Spirit gives us hope forever. So, uh, like I said, it seems like a bunch of jumbled ideas, but it's not. He said, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What Paul's saying is like, the, the cool thing about believing in Jesus Christ is you receive righteousness now, but there will come a day where you will stand before the Creator of the world, His name is Jesus, and God will say, how come you're here? Why should I let you in to be part of my kingdom forever? And you will say, only on the basis of Jesus. And do you know who helps you to say that? Do you know who helps you to believe that? Do you know how you get there? University. No. Of course it's not university. Exactly. Come on, you guys got to wake up here. Who helps us with that? Who helps us to believe that? Anyone? Spirit. That's exactly what the Spirit is given for. As a gift. It's like, it's like the Spirit lives inside of you and helps you to do something that you can't do on your own. How many of you watch sports? Anybody watch sports? I remember, it's, this always happens in sports, particularly. Okay? It's like some football player, their father or their mother passes away, and they literally play better the next game. And do you know what the announcers say? His Spirit was helping him play better. Right? Like somehow this mysterious spirit of the person who died came down, personified in the form of a football player who could throw accurately, and that's how he glorified him. It's just crazy. I mean, it seems crazy. But actually, that idea is very biblical, except it's not a football player's spirit manifesting to play better football. It's God's Holy Spirit helping to believe in himself. That makes sense, doesn't it? God's pretty good at believing in Himself, don't you think? He knows pretty good. He's like, yeah, I know who I am. It's the one person in the world who can always say that, perfect, every time. That's why He's God. And He gives that Spirit to you to say, I know who God is. That's an act of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, if you go by law, you don't get that Spirit. If you try and earn your way to God, you can't have access to that Spirit because that Spirit doesn't work through law. That Spirit works through grace, through faith alone. I hope that's making sense. Uh, six, F, is that six? 
Circumcision is not better than uncircumcision, and actually vice versa. That's the next verse. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, again, this is an example that might not mean a ton to you, but it would mean a lot to those hearing this. Because there would be those who uh, would not get circumcised to show their obedience to God, even though they're, they're kind of tempted to, because those who are are saying, yeah, this is a definite mark of, of someone who's a Christian, someone who believes in Jesus. And Paul says, like, uh, the, the problem with this is sometimes we can use this both ways. So those who are circumcised, um, those who follow uh, the law to the nth degree can c- kind of look at their own lives and say, well, yeah, but look at my life. Look how ordered my life is. And, and you know people like that. You say, well, you can't earn your way to God. And they'll turn around and say, yeah, but why am, is my life so good? It's because I follow God. This is the fault in, in, in saying things like, we, we have been given this because of our faithfulness to God. There's a danger in that because really, truly, none of us is truly faithful to God to the nth degree. And it's not on the basis of our faithfulness. That's still grace. If we're faithful, it's because of God. If we have received something, it's because of God, not because of our faithfulness. Now, does God use our faithfulness? Yes, He does. Is God pleased with our faithfulness? I believe He is. But is that the way that we earn our way to God? Absolutely not. That's not the gospel. That's the law. But the flip side of that is there are people who say, well, I don't follow any law and, and I still got everything of God. Do you know anyone like that? Maybe a friend, someone who has believed the gospel, someone who's um, perhaps, um, th- they kind of show their faithfulness to the gospel by doing everything wrong. <laughs> they just say, oh, well, if God's so full of grace, he'll just fix everything up. Neither works. It's not, it's not your unfaithfulness that earns your favor to God either. <laughs> you, you can use this both ways. Uh, this is found often in, um, in churches and people who have, who have discovered this freedom in, in, in Christ or whatever, and they'll, they'll be sinning like crazy. I mean, they'll be just doing everything that the Bible says not to do in terms of sin, purposefully. Because they go, well, if it's all grace, then it doesn't matter at all what I do. In fact, the more I sin, the more grace I'll get from God. It's, it's really warped logic when you think about it, but it happens. People use this, and you and I sometimes use, use this. We're like, we really want to sin, and we really want to do it really bad, and so we sin knowing that God is going to forgive us purposefully. And Paul says, should we go on sinning so that we receive more grace? No, you don't really understand grace if that's how you function. That's not, that's not what grace does. When you hear someone has done something great for you, you don't, we call it kicking the gift horse in the mouth. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen a gift horse? No, I'm just kidding. It's biting the hand that feeds you, anyone? Anyone use that phrase? Right? Someone gives you something really kind and you turn around and treat them poorly. That's, that's not a proper understanding of what has been done. And truly, how the gospel works is when you really understand what God has done for you and it really becomes good news, your natural response is to want, is in love to want to do what He has asked you to do and serve Him. That's the natural response. That's the way He made you. And so it's not about, you know, what you do for God or what you don't do for God. It's about what God does for us every time. That's why Paul says circumcision uh, nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He's not saying they don't matter. He, He says it doesn't count in terms of your salvation, in terms of your right standing for God, but only faith working through love. You could switch those around to love working through faith. That would work too. And that's... Number seven, what counts as love. I'll get back, I'll get into that at the very end. But number eight, I think, eight, nine, whatever it is, H. 
Starting well doesn't mean finishing well. Because Paul says you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This is an interesting phrase here. He said you were running well, meaning you heard the gospel and you believed the gospel and you were living free. What happened? You were running so well. It's like anyone watch the Olympics and watch like the 400 meters and you watch that guy in the in the inside track and they're like way out in front, right, at the beginning. And then like it, it kind of evens out and, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, they're way behind. It's kind of like that. He's like, you started off so well. You started off inside track and it, it was looking great. And what happened? What did you... What hindered you? This, this word, what hindered you, is actually comes from... Uh, it's a military term, actually. What hindered you from obeying the truth? Uh, sorry, that one's not the military to, uh, term. It's, it's, it's a playoff, this whole circumcision. <laughs> circumcision, I don't know if you know exactly the process, but it involves sanitation and very sharp knives. Okay? Literally. And, and Paul, kind of being witty, that's kind of why I like Galatians and why I like Paul so much. He's like, who cut you, he, who cut you off from obeying the truth? <laughs> See a little play on words here? Yeah, those are, those are awake. are like, that's funny, actually. He's like, you want to talk about cutting? Who cut you off from obeying the truth? Yeah, funny. Funny way of kind of digging. He's like, who cut you off, guys? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who, what, is, what is there that's cutting you off from hearing this message of the gospel? And Paul is saying, like, what, just because you start well does not mean that you necessarily end well. It's a big misnomer in the Christian life. Some of you think that believing the gospel is a one-time, first-day act. Okay? You think that when someone says, and you know this, when someone answers, um, when you became a Christian, and they talk about a specific instance that happened a long, long time ago that they don't even know about anymore. Right? Is someone's, you know, they're kind of living their life, and you're like, I don't really know if they're a Christian. And you ask them, are you a Christian? They're like, oh, well, yeah. Like, in 1972, I raised my hand and said, yes, I believe in Jesus. And Paul says, that's actually not really the true definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone who believes right now. Always. Tomorrow it will be then. A week from now it will be then. When you monitor your own Christian life, what do you depend on? Do you depend on an event that happened way in the past? Or do you depend on today, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's a better Savior. He's God. He saved me from my sin. That's why every time we gather on a weekly basis, we take the Lord's Supper real seriously. This is like saying, today I believe this. Not yesterday, not last year, not when I was a little kid in Sunday school. I believe it now, today, right now. And tomorrow, I'll believe it tomorrow. We have to be cautious of this as we even teach the gospel, that the gospel does not mean a one-time belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a constant belief in Jesus Christ. Every moment of the day. Letter I. Passion doesn't mean truth. He says this persuasion is not from Him who calls you. See, these Galatian believers, were, or these, these false teachers were coming into the churches in Galatia and they were really passionate. Like, oh, you have to believe this. Have you ever met somebody like that? They're new in like sales and they're not really a salesman or whatever, right? And you, and you meet them and they're like, oh, you have to. You have to buy into this. This is awesome. And then you find out like two weeks later they change jobs and it's like, it's a terrible idea. And you're like, wow, they were really passionate about that for, for a season. Yeah, I think Paul cautions us here again. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Just because someone comes up and tells you this is the right way to live, this is new. By the way, as a Christian, if anyone comes up and tells you there is a brand new type of Christianity, run as fast as you can. There is no such thing as a brand new type of Christianity. There's an old type of Christianity that's new every day. It's called the gospel. 
And if someone comes up and is passionate about living this certain way, oh, you know, this new way of praying has never been done before and now you can have better access to God than you've ever had before, that's garbage. Now, are we learning how to pray better always? I think so. Are there new ways, that things that you haven't learned before that are helpful? Absolutely, I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying, don't pay attention to merely the passion of someone when it comes to the teaching about Christianity. Pay attention to whether it lines up with the gospel. J, bad teaching spreads. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul, using a baking metaphor. Awesome for all any bakers in the house. One, two, awesome, great. Okay, this makes sense to you. Leaven's yeast, right? You put a little tiny bit of yeast in, what happens to the entire piece of dough? It spreads through the whole thing. This is what bad teaching does in your life personally and in the church life. If we don't pay attention to bad teaching, it's like a little leaven that can spread widely. This is why it's so important to, if you feel like you're weak in the gospel, and the right answer to that is yes, you feel like you need help learning the gospel, applying the gospel, if, you, if that's you, this is why we emphasize city groups so much, is because if you let that go for too long, eventually bad teaching takes over. Eventually, your righteousness by what you do takes over. I can guarantee you that. Have you ever noticed that the longer you stay away from other Christians who help bring you close to the gospel, the less you seem to sin? You ever notice that? The less scared you get of disobedience, the less worried you get about what God thinks, the more you begin to care about what other people think. I find this so true in my own life. The way God has wired me, is it's like He, he rigged it so that when I, I have to preach through this all the time because I'm one of the weakest people among you. Because I, I drift in the gospel so much faster than so many of you that I didn't have to talk about it all the time. I'd be a disaster. I think that's the way God wired me. But you're not that much different than me, friends. You're not that much different than me and you will drift away. And this, a little bit of bad teaching, a little bit of righteousness by works can begin to spread like yeast in dough. And it can eventually overpower you. That's what was happening in Galatia. If Paul hadn't come in, this whole group of churches would have gone haywire over a couple of bad teachers because they did not have the gospel. And K, if following the law makes you holy, where do you stop? Paul says he wishes everyone would emasculate themselves. Rough translation. If you're going to cut a little bit off, why don't you cut it all off? I'm not kidding. That is what my commentary said. He's like, if you follow this, you know, cutting a piece of skin off from your genitals as a way of showing your obedience to God, he's like, and if it brings you holy and makes you holy, he says literally, then cutting more off should make you more holy, right? Kind of jokingly, like, don't take me that seriously, guys. I mean, it's a strange way to say it, and I'm... Even right now, I'm uncomfortable saying it. But that's what he says. Where do you stop? If you earn your way to God through what you do, where do you stop at that? What do you take out? At what point will you have pleased God? At some point, you're going to find that this is not, it's just not going to work. And so he says, if it was possible for you to be holy and you to be in right standing before God by what you did to your body, he said, basically, you should slice everything. Get rid of it all. If that could potentially help you. Now, Paul knows that it doesn't. Paul knows that it doesn't. That's why he says... For you were called to freedom, brothers. There's a lot of other stuff in there. I, I, I really won't get into it because I, I have in the past and I want to wrap it up here and talk about freedom. He says, but you weren't called to any of those things. You weren't called to that life of slavery. You were called to freedom. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so Paul talks about freedom. You are free. And, and again, here is the pushback. You say, well, yeah, but if I am free in Christ, then I can do whatever I want. That's actually what Paul is preaching against. He says, don't use your freedom that way. And we have to define what freedom means. Some of you think that when I talk about freedom in Christ, I am talking about the freedom to live however you want and live on whatever mission you want. But that is actually not true. See, the Bible doesn't say, um, don't be a slave, become free. I know that sounds strange. But he says, don't become a slave to righteousness and right standing before God through your works. Become a slave of Christ. Now, this is such a, it, it, it's, it's such an offensive word to us, actually, this, this word slave, that often your translation will use the word servant. Some translations will try to take it another step and use the word bondservant. But do you know what the actual word, Greek word is? Slave. Don't be a slave of the world. Be a slave of Christ. Don't be a slave to a bad Savior. Be a slave to the right Savior. Now, slavery has a bad connotation in here. I understand that, and it's why we've gone away from it so much. But essentially, don't have the world's way of thinking as your master. Have Jesus as your master is the way you should interpret that. Don't live like your master. Don't, don't, don't worship the world. Worship the right Savior. And so this is not freedom to do whatever you want. This is not freedom to, to sin as often as you can so that you can receive more grace or the, so that Jesus can pick up all the pieces of your messy life. I think that's why there's, there's still a lot of consequences within sin is because it's one of ways that God kind of rigs this whole system so that it just kind of takes you away from, from even wanting to be a slave to the world and the world's way of thinking. This is, John Stott said it this way, Christianity is a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. We can sometimes think that this freedom means, well, I can, I can drink as much as I want, smoke as, as, as much as I want, have sex with whoever I want, uh, spend money on whatever I want, think about whatever I want, essentially live however I want, but that's not what the Bible says. And that's not what this freedom is for. It's not a freedom to sin. It's a freedom from sin. Jesus frees us from the guilt of that sin, but He doesn't free us to do it over and over again. And just so you know, it's not freeing to do sin. For those of you who are caught neck deep in sin and feel like you can't get out, and no matter how many times I talk about the Gospel, you say, yeah, but you don't know the sin in my life. You don't know what I'm in. You don't know what I'm a slave to. Because that's exactly how it feels for you. You feel like you are in a block of cement and only your head is above. So you can see everything, but you can't move. That's what serving the world's way of thinking is life like. But serving Jesus is much different than that. Serving Jesus allows you to serve people without having to worry about what they think of you. It allows you to give your money away. And no matter how much you have, it allows you to be satisfied in what you do have through Jesus. No matter who does what to you, your identity is not changed by anything that anyone can do to you. It's only changed by Jesus who promises through His Spirit to empower you and remind you of who you really are. That's where that freedom comes. It doesn't necessarily make your life easier. I think in many ways it makes it tougher. It will be a larger fight. But it will be a fight that is much more worthwhile and is way more freeing. For those of, you know, if you go into a battle and you know you will lose, how motivated are you to fight? Not at all. Right? Have you ever had a fight with a friend or a parent or a boss and you, you're like, oh, I want to fight them. And you're just like, I'm going to lose. 
It demoralizes you. You're like, well, I better not because I'm going to lose anyways. But if you know you can win a fight, you go into the fight. You go into the fight. And you say, this is going to happen. And Jesus says, I've already won the battle over this. One day this will all be made right. All I've asked you to do is fight. Fight for your freedom. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I'll give you a new identity. I'll give you freedom. I'll give you victories. You leave the final battle to me. I will declare it victorious. You just fight. It's very freeing. And so that's, that's second. Freedom is freedom to serve. That's what Paul says. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is the military term here. Only th- this as, as an opportunity, that's kind of like this home base in the Greek. It's like, don't use your, uh, d- don't use your freedom as a home base for sin and a, and a safety base for sin. Use your, use your home base to love and serve. And I'll tell you how this works. Most of us have been taught and told to love one another and serve one another. Even if you're not in the church, you've been told that this is the way that it goes. But have you noticed how selfish this serving one another can get? How internally wrong this gets? So for instance, let's just say Christmas is coming up, hypothetically. Okay? This happen- You'll notice this at Christmas. Watch for this at Christmas. Great fun. Don't watch for it yourself, of course. It's not nearly as fun. But watch for other people. Have you ever seen other people? Have you ever given a gift to someone with like an internal motivation that you hope that you get something back from them in return? Ever done that? No, you're all really good people. Right? Like even as you're giving it, you're like, you're, you're, you're like, oh man. Imagine when she sees this, she's going to have to give me this. Or I'll, 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 this is what I have done. I, I'll never do it again, babe. But this is what I've done in the past. I'll give her this because I really want this. So I'll buy this for myself. And she won't say anything because I've given her such a great gift. She can't say anything about this gift that I get for myself. Really generous of me, obviously. Hey, don't you think better of me already? Do you see how corrupt even trying to serve other people can get? But here's what the gospel says. The gospel says it's not on the basis of what you do. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. So you don't worry about the ramifications. This allows us, even as a church, to bless our city without having, like not, not even needing people to come into our church because we blessed our city. That's where churches get into a lot of trouble. Churches sometimes bless... The, the old way, the law way, the circumcision way. They try and bless people in the city through like not understanding the gospel. And so what happens is they serve people hoping that they'll come into their church and fill their church up and fulfill that need. But when they don't, what happens? They stop serving people. But what if you didn't have, what if you weren't a slave to having a full church? And you left that up to Jesus. What if you weren't a slave to having people say great things about you because Jesus has already declared you righteous? What if you didn't have to worry about being loved by someone because Jesus loved you so much that everything else didn't matter? What if you didn't have to worry about all that stuff? Don't you think you'd be free to just give without having anything in return? To just serve without having anything in return so you can give that gift freely to your wife, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad, and you don't have to worry about whether they're going to give anything back because you're fully satisfied in the better Savior anyways? Don't you think that would be a free way to live? That's exactly what Paul is saying. Use your freedom in a way that understands the gospel and frees you from having to have all these external things. Because we give sometimes and we serve people in our churches and personally as though like a righteousness is not a gift of grace. We're like, we're going to give you grace, but it's going to be kind of like a paycheck. You come to our church, we'll give you stuff. And that's how people suspect. I mean, I've, I've actually invited people to our church like, what am I going to have to do for you? And I'm like, well, nothing. Like, yeah, right. Am I going to have to give I'm going to have to show up, serve, blah, 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 this or that. And I was like, no. 
No, we just, like, that's why we do these concerts. Like, what's the kickback for us? Well, at this point, nothing yet. And I'm fully satisfied that this is a great thing to do. Why? Because we want to show grace through even what we do. We're going to serve these musicians and these put on these concerts as a way of like, we don't need anything back. We're not doing this to receive anything back. We're doing this to say, we've allowed God to pay us back. Which is really kind of dumb because we've been given so much anyways, we couldn't possibly pay God back. You see how this is freeing? Hopefully it's making sense, I know. Let me just finish then. By drawing your attention to the table. If you have trouble serving, loving one another, if you have trouble giving without expecting something in return, as a Christian, I'm not even talking about someone who doesn't yet believe in Jesus, but if you have trouble in that, here's my recommendation for you. Don't try to work hard to serve more people harder. Just begin to let Jesus speak clearly to you about what he has given to you. I truly believe that if we are motivated by what we try for God, it will get despairing and we won't be free at all. But if we simply receive from Jesus, we will be able to give. So you see this morning, you didn't do anything to earn this bread and this cup. Most of you that are coming in here didn't put anything up. You just showed up and you received all morning. That's how I want you to take of the grace of Jesus this morning. I want you to simply say, Jesus has done it all for me. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I would recommend you not take the bread and the cup. Why? Because taking it is not this magical potion that will turn you into a Christian. It is not that. It is something that Jesus gave to Christians for Christians to remind them of what they already believe. So partaking in this when you don't believe this is like telling a lie. And my recommendation is don't lie. Not here. But my recommendation is, is to say don't lie. But if you believe, then you can come up and take and you're not lying. And if you are a Christian, you know what this means to you. Don't lie as a Christian coming up and say, I believe in the grace of Jesus that it's all been done for me. Partake and then walk out and try and earn your way to God. Don't do that. Partake of the cup and partake in the grace of Jesus and serve out of that instead of serving out of the righteousness by works instead of righteousness through faith in Christ. So come. Our tradition is simply you come, break the bread, partake of whatever you'd like. We sing in response. We give in response. And uh, then we close in prayer. So Tom, go ahead.